Welcome to the Kim B. Davis Show. Here we'll talk to the leaders in technology, culture, business, and the arts. We'll cover politics, advocacy, motherhood, writing, mental health, and mostly we'll focus on hope. Join Kim B. Davis, author, playwright, radio personality, event consultant, professional speaker on the Kim B. Davis Show. Welcome to the Kim B. Davis Show. I'm your host, Kim B. Davis, and this morning we have historian, author, executive director of the Detroit River Project, Kimberly Simmons. Good morning, Kimberly. How are you? Well, good morning, Kim. How are you? I'm great, thank you. This, thank you for being on our show. On this very hot day. Yes, it is, but you know what? It's better than snow, so I won't complain. I agree. Absolutely. So let's get into our topic because there's been a lot of controversy over the last few weeks when we've been talking about the protesters that have been removing statues around the country. We've been talking about military bases being renamed, schools being renamed. And I know that you are an alum of Cass Technical High School, which is embroiled in a controversy. As a historian, what is your perspective on removing statues um, for, as people say, we're, we're removing the icons of racism and renaming military bases and renaming schools? Well, actually, that's kind of a, you've laid out a three-part question that cannot be answered with one, with cannot have one answer. So let's start back with, um, the, uh, we'll, we'll start at the end and we'll work our way back. How about that? That's great. Um, the uh, military bases actually, I don't think are in contention because um, as far as uh, most uh, congressional members, um, both on both sides of the aisle, bipartisan agreement, which is rare, and um, for that matter, it's the military itself who are actually housed at some of those bases. And we're talking about Fort Bragg and um, most of the, the, uh, the uh, military bases in the South are named after Confederate generals. Mm -hmm. um, that was done when uh, most of the military bases were actually built. Uh, which was in the early 20th century. So we're talking about after World War I, which is when the first airplanes were actually used in combat. So you really are talking about a 20th century problem that was expanded into a 19th century solution. Um, I tell everyone all the time, surrender came 155 years ago. The Confederate Army lost the war. They surrendered. And for some reason or another, reasons are many, in 2020, we're, we're still uh, w waging a war that was over in 1865. But part of the South's, um, we'll just say grasp, to uh, continue, uh, we'll just say, covert warfare 
was to create a memory that should have not been created. It wasn't something that was there, it was created. So in the first part of the 20th century, several things happened. Number one was the military bases. They created Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg was, was named after a general in the Confederate Army. There are others. It, it, it could very easily have been called, uh, we'll just say, uh, Fort Grant, mm -hmm. after Ulysses S., who was the Union commander. But no, it was called Fort Bragg. Um, that goes along with, hand in hand, with the monuments that were placed. Again, a 20th century creation for a 19th century solution. The South, the Confederacy, uh, as they're called, the Dixiecrats, which were, was the Democratic Party uh, in most of the 20th century. Uh, after, when Jim Crow happened and after the Reconstruction period, this rehashing of a, of a war that was already over basically was an intimidation. Um, you had a population in this country that, uh, speaking of the African-American population, who have been, ha have had a covert war um, generated against them for a century. And part of the war is to put idols in place as we go, as, as we're happened, um, to intimidate the populace, intimidate them on many levels, to remind the populace that yes, you're still, you still are, belong to us, you have no identity but ours, um, don't attempt to do anything that is um, uh, of uh, someone that would be considered free will, we're intimidating you. Intimidation appeared in many different forms. Uh, the Klan was born. Uh, Jim Crow laws that said you can't drink out of the same water fountain as, some, as a white man can. Um, and that goes along with our statuary. The statuary was created, most of it, a lot of it, after Jim Crow. We're talking about the beginning of the 20th century, um, 1920s. This was an intimidation factor. And at this particular point in our history, the intimidation is over. Um, I find the Black Lives Movement that we are among now, it's kind of an American spring. We called it an Egyptian spring. We called it a, a, an Ethiopian spring. We called it uh, several years ago when we were watching it from afar, but now it's us. So I would call what we have going on right now the American spring. We have finally realized that though we have fought for other people's freedom for many years, we have been the traffic cop for the Middle East and Europe and 
parts of what used to be Russia. We have been the traffic cop for everyone. And no one has bothered to step in and say, you know, sometimes the traffic cop needs to take a vacation because they really need to wash their own dirty laundry. Mm -hmm. And this is our time. Now, every statue in this country, um, war, we'll say war hero statue, is not necessarily a war hero that is tied to the Confederacy. Uh, every statue in this country that is, we'll say, a war hero, or in some cases, president, is not necessarily tied to the Confederacy. And that's where you have to kind of draw the line. I am uh, one of the historians that's in the, you want to say, in the school of thought that we should, should, remember our history as some very confident scholar said a long time ago and i repeat often if you don't know your history you are destined to repeat it mm-hmm. the other the other uh, very definite uh piece of um uh knowledge we need to to keep in mind is if you erase your history, not only will you repeat it, you won't even know it happened. History needs to be understood. It needs to be taught to the masses. The United States is terrible about their own history. I've traveled in countries that are three times as old as this one, uh, especially a lot of the countries that are in Europe um, that consider our country a baby, which it is. Our country is technically only about 246 years old. However, we've got a lot of history packed into that into the, that time frame. But in the big scheme of things, our history is tied to what many people call the original sin, and that is slavery. This country was built on it. We didn't just suddenly after all oh, 50, 60, 70 years decide that we were gonna suddenly take up the slavery business because it seemed to be lucrative. No, no, this country was founded on it. The founding fathers, not all of them, but most of them were slave owners. The original Virginia colony were slave owners. Jamestown, the landing of the first, what what were to be the enslaved Africans, was in 1619. That was 400 years ago, almost twice the amount of time that our country existed. This country was founded on slavery. We cannot possibly erase it. And my question to anyone would be, why are we erasing our history? Because as a people, as people of color, and I include not only the African-American that is here, that was brought here, their ancestors brought here against their will. I also include other people of color. Because remember, when we 
or when I say we, when the United States was founded, it was founded on the backs of Native Americans that were already here. And we just walked in and said, well, nice, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from here. Those are people of color. This country was founded on the backs of people of color to erase, take down all of our history would be a travesty to the fight we have been through for 400 years. You are going to, most, most peoples are strongest by living through their trials and tribulations. We persevered. And if you take down everything that is a, a symbol or a remembrance of what happened before, what are we going to teach our children? You cannot give, you cannot create an alternate history. You can't do that. So my, I'm from the school of thought that rather than create another history, disavow the past, trash it. You need to put your history in context. As far as the Confederate statuary goes that was created after 1865, created in 1920, I believe that that statuary does need to come down. That I believe. Uh, the military bases. Those military bases, again, the decision has been made by bipartisan support in Congress, uh, the Secretary of Defense, as well as the military itself, that it would be wise to rename those bases in honor of someone perhaps that deserves the honor, not a traitor. Mm -hmm. I believe that to happen. Now, when you start getting into the statuary that we have that forms um, the National Mall, and I'm talking in terms of Jefferson mm -hmm. and Washington mm -hmm. and Lincoln, mm -hmm. now we're getting into a little gray area here. I don't know that we want to take down the most iconic, some of the most iconic uh, memorials, monuments, statues, um, and erase the stories that are tied to something that people from other countries come to see. People, we have to remember, people in other countries may not come to see uh, Robert E. Lee sitting on a horse, but they do come to see Mr. Lincoln. And they do come to see Mr. Washington. That's a fact. Those are iconic structures. And the men that they are, uh, they are tied to, their history, their legacy is immense. It's immense. And we have to put into context who the men were. We live in 2020 and morally we know we all know, I think at this point, I think we've all got the picture. Slavery is immoral in all forms of it. It's immoral. 
It was, it's immoral now, it was then. But we have to remember, we must remember, those that were founding members of this country, founders, slavers, absolutely. They were men of their time. They were men of their time. The, the uh, institution, as they call it, the peculiar institution of slavery was a worldwide lucrative business. It was like Microsoft. Mm -hmm. It was a worldwide business. Yes, they enslaved my ancestors. Absolutely. They enslaved many of our ancestors. Absolutely. There is no denying that. But they were not the only ones. Does not give them a right. But that is how we, when we look back, we literally lived through 400 years of servitude. 400 years of not only the institution itself, but the aftermath. And just like my mother used to tell me, bad things make you stronger. You have to learn through it. I am into context. And that would mean Mr. Lincoln, Mr. Lincoln speaks for himself. We don't even, I, there isn't even a plaque that describes who Mr. Lincoln is. You walk in and you walk on the National Mall and you see this, this man sitting in this chair surrounded by the pillars. One of the most beautiful sights actually at night when you walk up on the Lincoln Memorial. Mm -hmm. But there's the context that you have to teach. And on the other end of the memorial is this one of the greatest institutions that ever was ever created in the United States. And there's nothing else like it in the world. And that's the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian Institute has the opportunity and should take the opportunity to give context to our founding founding fathers. The Smithsonian is, has the capability to take this conversation and put it into context. The Library of Congress, the National Archives hold our most precious documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, all signed by white men, slave owners. We have the opportunity to take those iconic, iconic pieces of Americana and put them into context. If you take what the context is away, what do you leave the people that are here? You leave them no, you leave them no way to figure out, well, okay. Because we're talking about a moment in time where we're very angry. Mm -hmm. We are very angry. Mm -hmm. The issue becomes we've been angry for 400 years. We were brought here against our will. And in the case of the Native Americans, they were literally put off of their own land after mm -hmm. welcoming people here. 400 years of that. 400 years. So we're angry. But I would wager to guess that a lot of the protesters, uh, the Black Lives Matter protesters, uh, not only here, 
but around the world would tell you that they're angry and I believe them. I'm with them. But I can tell you that they don't know exactly why they're angry. Our people have been carrying this anger for 400 years. It's in our DNA. The reactions, things that we do on a daily basis. I, in case anyone has uh, read, but there is a term that uh, some of us use, and that's post-slavery syndrome. Mm-hmm. Post-slavery syndrome exists in all of those of us African-Americans who were enslaved or their ancestors were. However, I give to you that it also exists in the slavers and their descendants. Mm -hmm. We are angry and they are privileged. Those are the opposite poles, anger and privilege. And they meet, unfortunately, often. They've met on the streets the last month or so. But these two polar opposites do not really know why they're angry. That's where context comes into play. Context will give you reconciliation. We need to talk our problems out. And you can't talk them out if your problems, they're not, if you don't have anything to talk about. Mm-hmm. The city of Detroit itself, The city of Detroit, like most cities in this country, were founded on slaveholders. It's it's fact. If you were to take down every monument, uh, street sign, uh, a lot of the buildings uh, that are tied to either A, a slave owner, or for that matter, a family that has perhaps an ancestor that was that owned slaves. If they've been here long enough, and we must remember our city is older than this country. Our city is 319 years old in about two weeks. It'll be officially 319. Our city was, was uh, established in 1701 by 300 French families, slave owners. Their names adorn all of the streets, most of them in the central part of our city, some of which are even out with the, towards the outskirts of Detroit, slave owners. If we were to erase every piece of our history just in Detroit alone that is tied to a slaver, be it them themselves or their descendants, we would have a blank slate. We would have a blank slate. It is just breathtaking to think that anyone would want to wipe a, a, wipe a city of its history clean. We're not talking about a new city like Livonia or Canton or, or, or the, the many suburbs that surround Detroit, those are new towns. Somebody will tell me, oh, well, that city's been around for about 100 years. Well, that's true. But we've been here for 319. And remember, we're still a young, we're still a young town as compared to places in, the re- in other parts of the world. 
But if we were to wipe our history clean, what are you gonna leave your kids? Your kids need to learn that they come from a place of perseverance, a story. We have a story to tell. Our kids need to be able to tell all the story, not half the story. Half the story doesn't get it. We need all the story. And we need all the kids to hear it. Not just our African-American kids. We need our white kids to know the story too. They need to know why they got up in the morning and they're, they're 10 and they actually think they own the world. They're 10 years old mm-hmm. and they exhibit white privilege. And you know what? A 10 year old is too young to even understand where that comes from. Well, you gotta leave them their story because it's their story too. It's our story. So they can understand why they have that within themselves. We've had the last three or four weeks this big discussion about uh, well, Black Lives Matter since uh, George Floyd, he launched it, uh, bless his heart. His daughter said in a interview, in a video, what he actually did, it's a terrible, uh, terrible thing that happened to him, but consider his legacy has become a national, excuse me, an international moment. It is just amazing. It makes my heart pound pound faster. It's an amazing, breathtaking moment. But you have that young girl who I believe is six or seven and her Mm -hmm. counterpart, some little white boy that lives maybe in London. And if they got together and played, would ensue and after and between two conversations the white privilege would show and the the uh, anger would show that's what happens because kids fight mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. have to give they, they have to have context they won't know what they're talking what's happening at seven or eight or nine or ten but when you get them to be, to be about 15 16 then they need to have context because these kids need to know why they're angry why am I angry? Why do I act like I own this world? That's a question that needs to be left out there. Um, as a Cast Tech graduate, Cast Tech alumni, um, and we're 80,000 strong. It's not eight of us, it's 80,000 of us. And some of us are doing really well with our names on billboards or on plaques or on. Uh, sides of buildings, mm-hmm. uh, sitting behind court benches, uh, stethoscopes, stethoscopes hanging around our necks. Um, and then some of us are like me that are out here trying to do history. <laughs> um, we're very proud of our school. And I know the conversation has come up for some reason uh not necessarily by the cast tech uh alumni but it is coming from the outside community which i find a little bit of interest actually um there had there has been uh, some conversation about renaming some of the schools but for some reason detroit's largest high school which has been around for over 100 years Uh, started as a small school, at one point was separated into two, 
One was uh, strictly uh, for um, training uh, uh, young people, mostly women, uh, to go into uh, more of a secretarial business and that was commerce high and then there was cast tech was has always been geared toward vocational uh in recent years cast tech is uh, actually um a uh, factory pumping out uh undergrads to the local universities but uh cast tech seems to have come into conversation i don't know if it's the most visible one and it has the the uh, greatest legacy and again uh cast tech is named uh, for Lewis Cass, who was a slave owner. Uh, he didn't own many. However, he was a slave owner. He also was uh, Michigan's territorial governor. He was the uh, mayor of the city of Detroit. He became a U.S. Senator. Um, and a very large landowner. He married a descendant of a French uh, family, one of the French uh, founding families of Detroit. So he was, uh, he, he's a rather, uh, if you want to say, illustrious figure in Detroit history. And the land, the Cast Tech, uh, the old Cast Tech, and actually the new Cast Tech stands on, was pieces of his property. Um, and the school was named after him, just like the street. And uh, there's a few other, as a matter of fact, there was a building in Lansing that was renamed just recently about, uh, by, that was named for him. Uh, the cast, uh, I believe, was one of the, housed one of the office, it was an office building for the state of Michigan and the governor just, just, just recently uh, renamed it, which she has every right, it was a state building, so it should be renamed. Mm -hmm. um, if that's the request of the uh, of the people. However, this is a little bit different. Um, Cast Tech is not uh, in itself is not just any old building um, because it's got such an illustrious alumni. I don't want to brag too much, but if I started calling out names, well, I will say first that the last four City of Detroit police chiefs are all Cast Tech graduates. Mm -hmm. So is the Wayne County Sheriff and his brother, who is the police chief of Highland Park. Mm -hmm. uh, we can talk about Ike McKinnon, who was two or three police chiefs ago, mm -hmm. uh, Cast Tech graduate, professor at UV Mercy now. We can talk about, uh, well, we can talk about Diana Ross, if we want to pull out Diana, mm -hmm. and her sister. Mm -hmm. uh, Big Sean. Big Sean. Mm -hmm. Lily Tomlin. Uh, who's, who's, who's more current? Lily Tomlin, mm -hmm. who's a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. um, we have graduated over the course of the uh, hundred years. We've graduated, uh, probably you could have fielded a professional football team over all of the, the, uh, the athletes that literally have graduated from CAS. Mm -hmm. And understand that's brilliant and have gone on to play professional football, and most of them are doing very well in, a, in their afterlives. Mm -hmm. um, there, we have an illustrious alumni. Yes. I've had the, the fortune to be able to say that I have been in many places, which has included Europe, 
stopped on a street corner in France and told, aren't you, didn't you go to CAS? There are not many places that can say that. And uh, I'm a fortunate alumni. When it comes to CAS Tech, CAS Tech is a brand. Mm -hmm. It's a brand. Um, you can go downtown Detroit and to CVS or uh, Rite Aid and literally buy CAS Tech merchandise off of a rack. I found that out a couple years ago. Bought a couple sweaters. But um, that's not something that you can say about most of Detroit high schools. So when it comes to Cass Tech, there's a soft spot, I think, that all the alumni have uh, for the school. And when you're talking about a brand such as that, because there are people, make no mistake about it, all over the world that know what Cass Tech is and what has been. And you'll lose, that's one of Detroit's biggest brands. That's like changing the name of Belle Isle. Mm -hmm. And maybe some people don't realize that, but uh, changing the name of Belle Isle, and it has been other names, but it will never, Belle Isle will remain its name forevermore. Uh, or changing the name of um, Woodward Avenue. Um, changing the name of, um, we'll say Jefferson. And we're naming slave owners again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, where, where do we stop? My feeling about that is context. You need context. Uh, I've suggested that perhaps what we might want to do, um, if uh, the feeling is so strong about the cast tech issue in particular, um, within the school, there's, there's a place, there's space enough to literally do a, um, an exhibit. We could do an exhibit and give that as an educational piece to not only the students that go to cast, but those that visit. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's several exhibits within cast tech now, I've spent quite a bit of time at CAS being um, an educator, uh, working on several different projects, uh, specifically with the Detroit Free Press, and I've spent time in the new building. And the new building has a few exhibits that actually showcase CAS's history. Well, here's another one. That's context. Mm. Rather than just taking the name off of a, uh, off of a building, that's context. Uh, give it its story, give it, give it its history, uh, make it a project for the kids to do. There's all other ways to look at that. But when you start talking about snatching names down, to me, you're reactive, that's reacting. Instead of being proactive, you're being reactive. You're being reactive to, we'll say, the American Spring. You have to be proactive. All of this didn't suddenly happen. We didn't suddenly get angry we need to figure out why we're angry and use our anger constructively. So I hope I answered your question. <laughs> you did. You gave us lots to think about. So I have one more question for you because our time is almost up. What do you say to people who say, but we have history books. There's history in a book. Why can't we just have it in a book and, and, and take everything down and it'll be okay? Well, because we have history books now that unfortunately our children don't read and neither do their parents. Um, and we also have history books that uh, don't necessarily tell the truth. Uh, recently, a couple years ago, uh, for some reason, and I'm not quite sure why, but a, a lot of the um, textbooks that are used in classrooms around this country are produced out of the state of Texas. And I don't 
quite know why, but that's a fact. And uh, it was just a year or so ago, there was um, a big to-do about a textbook because there's, whenever there is a book that is produced, a textbook like that, there are reviewers that actually read the books for uh, not only continuation, but to make sure they're factually correct. And within the book, slavery, as I said, America's original sin was described as people were servants, they were workers. There was no statement about they were there against their will and had been enslaved. They were workers, and that was the way the textbook laid it out. So in that particular case, that textbook was changed. However, there's other books out here uh, there will continue to be other books produced. And I will also add into the, add into the, the equation. There are those that teach history that don't necessarily know their history either. There's that. Um, I personally do not profess to be, to know all of, uh, all the history that, uh, that there is to know. I learn every day. I, I, it's, it's, it's my passion to know about our history here in Detroit and elsewhere. It's, it's my passion. And I can say that for other historians. And if you are a true historian, they will tell you, they learn something new every day. No one, no historian knows everything. And most historians uh, that are uh, trained, generally speaking, uh, usually have some sort of a concentration, American history, black history, uh, the history of trains. Uh, so, you know, you start tiptoeing in other areas, that's something not necessarily that they research often. So um, there's always something to learn. And if you take away, you take away our story, good, bad, or indifferent, who's gonna tell it? Who's gonna give it to our kids? Because you can't know all the good stuff. So what are we going to do? Celebrate? Oh, we took that building down. We took that street sign down. As I said, there are some things, but it, it depends on what it is. The created history needs to be taken down. And created history is the monuments that were put up in the 20s to traitorous individuals that were uh, demonstrating against the United States. Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. Those are the kind of things that, yes, there needs to be conversation about that. Um, do you want to take down Judge Woodward's sign off of Woodward Avenue, which is the first paved road in America. It was paved by Henry Ford. Do you want to really take that down? Do you want to take the sign off of Woodward Avenue, the, the, the most historic street in the United States? Do we really want to do that? See, now you're now that's that's where this, this comes in this gray area we we have got to focus our anger and put a harness on it and decide how we want this to play out since we've got the conversation going let's move the conversation constructively context 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 thank you so much kim for sharing your perspective and helping us to understand truly what context means. I've been listening to conversations with you and other people, and it's been fascinating 
listening to people on both sides. And I agree with you. As a storyteller, as an author, it is our duty to tell our stories and to continue to share our history. One of my favorite sayings is, if we don't understand our history, we are doomed to repeat it. And unfortunately, our, our people perish for the lack of knowledge. So I thank you for being on the show. I thank you for being on our show. Please tell us how we can reach you. I know you do tours on occasion. Is there an opportunity for people to sign up? How can we reach you? Well, I do a lot of things. Uh, I do do tours. I do uh, presentations. Speak. I'm, I'm, I'm a speaker, uh, two-time author, um, researcher, and um, can be talked into doing a tour here and there for special people. I do do that. Uh, I've done large tours for universities and small tours, walking tours for small families that uh, just wanted to take their kids out and see Detroit. So you can reach me at uh, my email address. It's DetroitRiverProject at gmail.com. Uh, you can also reach out to me on the Detroit River Project Facebook page. I will answer that. And I also have a Kimberly Simmons Facebook page, author page. Feel free to reach out to me there as well. Um, I'm pretty easy to catch up with. Uh, we are working on another website because we're working on a pretty large project coming up and I'll I'll come back and talk one day when we when the project is settled with uh, our uh, partners it's going to be a, a real big um, real big show <laughs> fantastic thank you so thank you for being on the Kim B Davis show I look forward to that next conversation thank you all who are watching yes I know we are still battling COVID-19 but we're making it through so remember, stay home, stay safe, continue to wash your hands, take your vitamins, eat your veggies, and remember, be magnificent.